Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Thank you for my one fan, wherever you're at. I heard that whistle. That was awesome. Well, it's great to be here with you tonight. Um, Pastor Ed is on a a well-deserved break, and so we want to pray for him that God would refresh him and bless him. Uh, But here we are. You are the chosen one. I just want to tell you right now, you have been chosen to be here tonight because everybody else is home. Hello, everyone. And uh, but we're here and there's something special God has for us tonight. And and I'm excited to uh, to see uh, God reveal that to us through his word. Um, So let's pray. Let's pray and we'll we'll get right into it. So, Father, we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be here in this place, getting us down here safely in spite of the storm, in spite spite of the the snow. Uh, Your hedge of protection is so wonderful, and we welcome that um, each and every day in our lives. And we just ask for more of it, more of an outpouring of your spirit, more of of that uh, protection that comes from you, your grace and your mercy. So, Lord, that we would experience that peace, not from the world, but the peace that comes from you. And it would bring an encouragement and an excitement, and we just, uh, uh, just want to love you back and serve you. And so, Lord, um, ignite our hearts tonight as we dig into your word, uh, that it would come alive. It would be more than just mere words, that it would be your truth to our hearts with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You know, no matter what, uh, where you are in your walk with the Lord, whether you are a 25-plus uh, Christian walking with the Lord, whether you were raised in a Christian home, or whether you are a brand-new convert, there is always something that we can glean from First Thessalonians here that will provide us life lessons um, to us as believers that will challenge us. And so I have entitled tonight's message, Life Lessons for the Believer. Uh, Lessons that will challenge your witness for Jesus, uh, your care for the brethren, your sanctification before the Lord, and your hope in his return. And so um, as we get in here, I'd like to just kind of share with you a little bit of background uh, before we get to Paul's letter. Uh, In chapter 16 of the book of Acts, Uh, Luke tells us that on uh, Paul's second missionary journey that uh, he was with his companion Silas uh, and he came to Derbe and Lystra and there he picked up young Timothy uh, to join him on this trip and wanting to go north to preach the word uh, the Holy Spirit forbid him and so he decided to well let's go south and the Holy Spirit forbid him to go there too And so there in Troas, while he was waiting on further direction, he had a vision, a vision from the Lord. And he saw in this vision a man from Macedonia across the waterway in the Greece area saying, come on over here and help us. And and feeling that this was from the Lord, he responded and he said, let's go. And it says that they made straightway uh, to jump in a boat and sail over uh, to uh, uh, respond to the Lord's calling. And he concluded that it was the Lord that had called him. And so from there, um, they landed on that foremost part of Macedonia. And they came to Philippi. 
and they met a woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, um, who had heeded the things spoken to her by Paul, and uh, she and her household were saved. Um, and while they were there, also, during that same time, they came across a, a young girl who had a spirit of divination, and Paul um, prayed and cast out that demon, and she was set free. And because of that, it just caused an uproar because she was making money for, for these particular uh, guys, and so they threw him in jail and they beat him. Um, but we know the story. A big earthquake happens while they're singing hymns at midnight, both uh, Paul and Silas, and it says specifically that the, the, the doors were open and their chains were loose. And I, I thought that that was pretty interesting as I was reading that uh, because, you know, Jesus says, whom the uh, God sets free, that we're free indeed. Amen. Uh, that is something where we can count on that. It's not just a partial. It is something that God does completely, and we are completely set free. From that point on, it says that that Philippian jailer gets saved, um, he and his household. And from there, in, in chapter 17 in the book of Acts, it says that they come to Thessalonia. And there was a synagogue there. And as it was Paul's custom that he would go into the synagogue, he would preach to them concerning Jesus. And it says that um, some of the Jews believed and many of the Greek b uh, believers that were um, believing in Judaism at that time converted over to Christianity and some prominent women as well. But once again, uh, those that didn't believe, the, the Jewish uh, people who were there, the guys who were there, they got all fired up and said, what is this that you're talking about? Let's get you out of here. Uh, we don't need this. And they, they round up some, uh, a mob to push Paul and Silas out of Thessalonia. That takes them to Berea. And they start doing a the work there. The same guys that were there in Thessalonia um, heard that they had stopped and started doing the work. They came down and started a ruckus and pushed them out again. And they went all the way down to Greece. And it was there in Athens, Greece, that um, Paul remained um, and, and eventually moved on into the area of Corinth. And it's from there in Corinth that Paul, wanting to know what the uh, affairs were of the Thessalonians, um, sent Timothy to find out. It says specifically that it was things that just really bothered him. He knew that he was only with the Thessalonians for a short period of time, um, but um, he, he was able to share so much, and the church grew in such a short time uh, that he was concerned about their, their faith in the Lord. And so he sends Timothy to find out what is their condition, what's going on with them. Um, are, are they still walking in the Lord? Are they standing fast? And Timothy comes back with this report, a great report, and out of that report comes this letter, uh, this epistle to the Thessalonians, and he writes them back and, and tries to encourage them. And we're going to do something a little exciting and a little bit different than we normally do. We're actually going to go through the entirety of First, First Thessalonians tonight. We're going to read it, and we're going to pray that God's Word would impact our hearts just like it impacted the Thessalonians because it says specifically that in power of the Holy Spirit and with much assurance, they received the word of God and they believed that it wasn't just mere words, but it was words of truth that had come from God and it radically changed their lives. And it's my desire that as we read God's word in this same very letter, as a matter of fact, at the very end of Thessalonians in chapter five, it says, greet all the brethren 
with a holy kiss. And in verse 27, and I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to read this epistle as if we were there and we're going to receive this instruction and hopefully get some life lessons for us as believers. So let's begin in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, or Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from, the, from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn uh, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to, to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Just as nursing mother, a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached you, the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved uh, ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because uh, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. 
But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your, your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. We're almost there, guys. Hang in there. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion or lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who also uh, has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so to, toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly, to those, uh, properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, we have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord still comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. But at peace... Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast that which hold fast what is good abstain from every form of evil now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful who also will do it brethren pray for us greet all the brethren with a holy kiss i charge you by the lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you. Amen. Amen. You know, God's word is so awesome. And as we're going through it, there are so many amazing nuggets that we have to draw from. And I encourage you that once we're done here, that later on tonight and even in the next few days, dig right back in there. You're going to see the Trinity inside here. You're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the believers. You're going to see the power of the gospel. You're going to see how God's word affects the believers and how it converts people. You're going to see the care and concern that the pastors had with the people in Thessalonia. There is just um, nugget after nugget. And so I encourage you, spend some time in there. But for tonight, what I want to specifically look at are four lessons that we can learn from uh, First Thessalonians uh, that might bring some encouragement. Number one is their witness for Jesus. Number two is Paul's care for the brethren. Number three is the exhortation for sanctification. And number four is hope in his return. Um, their witness for Jesus, the very first point I'd like to talk about. And it's really, it's broken up into three different parts. But it's important for us to stand, understand that for many people who do not know the Lord, our lives will be uh, the only epistle that they read. How we conduct ourselves and how we live our lives, how they look at us, because they never go to church. They never read a Bible. But they're watching you. They're watching me. 
how we conduct ourselves. And when you say that you're a Christian, when you bow your head to pray, they're watching you. And how you live your life will either determine that your, your life is pointing to Jesus or it's all about self. And it's all, all phony and it's all fake and it's all, only for, um, to just deal with the guilt that's in your life. That's not the kind of life we want to be as, as believers. We want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That is God's desire for us, that gradually we would be changed um, and being conformed into his image. And so the question arises um, uh, when, when they're watching, um, what do they see and what characteristics do they recognize? Well, for, Thess- for the Thessalonians, according to uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it was their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience and hope. And those three things are um, what stood out amongst the Thessalonians. It is the very um, ingredient for a healthy church, for um, a healthy a believer, faith, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience in hope. So much so that Paul declares in verse 7 that they became examples to all Macedonia and Achaia who believed. Um, and, and it is a gigantic area there in Greece. And you can see exactly that uh, what their witness looked like in a practical way according to verse um, 8 and 10. And let's look at that. For you know that the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Um, and then it, it kind of breaks it down that uh, the, the work of faith, the labor of love, and their patience of hope here we see as he, he declares, your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned from God, uh, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us. That work of faith, they shared the word of the Lord and an impact in Macedonia, um, Achaia, and, and every place. Faith produces works. That's what happened with these Thessalonians. It produced work. And when we are born again, our faith compels us to share um, with others, just as it did with those Thessalonians. And when you know the truth, there's no other alternative but to share. And so they preached the gospel. They preached the gospel. And what is the gospel? That Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth from heaven, died on the cross for our sins, and was buried, and rose again on the third day in glory. And all who put their faith in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven, we're made right with God, and we have that hope of heaven. Um, and, uh, that is something that uh, transformed not only the Thessalonians, but it transformed that entire region. And people were just responding to that gospel message. And I encourage you, and, and myself as well, don't hesitate to, to allow God's word to come forth out of our lives. To not only um, uh, have that work of faith um, silently, but also to be ready to share the gospel, to be ready to share with somebody who asked that question, you know, why do you go to church? You know, there's something different about you. What is it? Uh, why, do you, why do you always sing Christian songs all the time? You know, why is that happening in your life? Why does it always seem like you're always happy all the time or there's a joy in your heart? We have to be ready to share with them. It isn't because, oh, well, you know, I love music. We don't want to say that. We want to be able to respond while the joy in our heart is because, in my heart, is because of what Jesus has done for me. 
And is it going to be difficult? Yes, in the flesh. But in the power of the Spirit, it just flows. And we need to pray. We need to pray for boldness to be able to declare that message, that gospel message of hope. Um, I, I have... I work at Costco, and there is, um, it, there is a mission field there for me. And, and yet, while I'm there, there is definitely an intense spiritual warfare that goes on. Um, so for me as a manager, I have the freedom to walk around and to manage my section and have all, um, time with employees. But um, it does become difficult because you sense that, um, that work that the enemy is trying to stop you from saying anything. And, and the Bible is very clear. The fear of man brings about a snare. It traps you. It locks you in. And it grabs a hold of your heart. And it causes fear to grip you. But if we pray for boldness, God will give you that strength to be able to share Jesus. Specifically Jesus. Not spiritual things. Not just in general God. But Jesus has come into my life and has saved me. He's delivered me, he's changed me, and now I have the hope of heaven, and that's available to you as well. That's the kind of boldness that God wants to give us. And this is the boldness that God gave the Thessalonians. They also experienced as their witness for Jesus this labor of love, that they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. At that time and location, idols were very prominent. Uh, They were idols that represented power and money, love, every emotion that you can think of, um, there was an idol for. And it was uh, a a normal aspect of society, and it was very acceptable to have your idols. The Thessalonians turned from these idols and gave over their affection and love to God, and they labored to maintain it, to maintain their love relationship with God through Jesus. That word labor here refers to getting to the point of exhaustion. That was their, um, their actions in this labor of love. And um, uh, again, I mentioned to you, I work at Costco. Uh, I, I get up every single morning at 2.30. And I drive about 30 minutes to work at the Sheridan. Work for 9 to 10 hours. And, and then I drive another 30 minutes home. And then try to figure out what to do at home. Taking care of uh, the kids and any honey-do lists and then have to be back in bed by 6. And I tell you, I've been doing this over and over and over again, and it worries me to exhaustion. But i got to tell you, it's a labor of love. I do it because I love my wife. I do it because I love my kids. And even though I'm to the point of exhaustion, I can carry on. I can continue on because of that love. And that love that I have towards my wife and that I have towards my kids, it isn't something that I've generated. It isn't something that um, you know, I'm creating. It is a love of God that has been worked and revealed to me that I'm experiencing with them. It's a sacrificial love that God revealed to me first, and then I respond back to him. And then it just spills over as I allow that love work to happen onto my family. And I share that with my boys all the time. You understand why I do this? It's because I love you guys. You know, I don't do this because... You know, growing up, I said, I can't work, wait to work, you know, at 3.45 in the morning and drive 30 minutes to work and work 10 hours a day. I, that was a, that's not what I aspired to do. It was to be a basketball player in the NBA. But I'm only 5'7", and uh, um, I can't dunk the basketball. And so I had to realize that dream is just not for me. Maybe Spud Webb, but not for me. Anybody knows who Spud Webb is? He could dunk the basketball, and he was 5'7", too. That 
is a work of love that I do for my, my family. And it's all something that God has worked in me. And God is working that in you as well. That labor of love. Something that causes us just to work until we're completely exhausted. But God sustains us. And God helps us and sees us through. When we come here and we serve at the church, um, that is something that, gosh, I mean, think about being here and getting here through the storm. But to be here so that we can fellowship, so we can encourage one another, that's a labor of love. That's an awesome thing. And, and this is what the Thessalonians were experiencing, and this is what we need more of in our life. <clears throat> the Thessalonians not only labored in their love for God, but also for the brethren. And in chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, I have no need to teach you about brotherly love because you are being taught by God. And that it, it was toward all who were in Macedonia, that witness through love. There is no greater witness to those who are outside of the faith than God's love, our love for one another. Jesus said, by this they will know that you are my disciples, your love for one another. And here at Calvary Aurora, God's love is evident. I've experienced it from the first day I got here seven and a half years ago, and, and it continues as, as I keep coming here each and every week. New um, brothers and sisters that I meet, I experience that love. I remember the very first time I experienced God's love before I was a Christian. I got invited to a church in L.A. when I was living back in California. And I remember walking up and, you know, uh, just trying to do the right thing. My friend invited me. Let's just go. And as soon as I get to the front door, they open the door and then they stop and then they look at me. And they said, what's your name? And I said, well, my name's Henry. That's the first time you've been here, right? I said, yeah, it is. Well, welcome. And, and this lady just gave me this big old hug and just said, welcome. We can't wait to, for you to come in and enjoy. And it kind of, um, I wasn't expecting that. You know, from the church that I grew up in, that's not what I experienced. And then we, I sit, sit down, and as the service goes on, the pastor says, okay, now we're going to have a time of testimony. And who wants to give a testimony? And then people would stand up, and they would give their testimony of what God did in their life. And another person, what God did in their life. And I'm just, I'm just sitting there, and I'm experiencing this, this love that God had and wanted to reveal to me. And then the worship started, and it was a band. It wasn't an organ. It was a band. And it was a band that had a saxophone, too. I mean, it was hopping in this church. It was amazing. Uh, I, people were up on their seats, and they were jumping, and they were having a great old time. And it wasn't weird. It was just a celebration that I just remember walking away going, I think I went to the very first church that acted like they were in a party. I mean, that's what I, I associated it with. It was like this big party that was going on. But it was a genuine love that they had for the Lord that they were experiencing and they were sharing. And I got it to benefit from that. And these were the building blocks that God was placing in my life to lead me down that path to the point where I became a Christian. The third thing is that patience and hope that, uh, that they waited for the return of Jesus, their patience and hope. This is the third uh, area that they witnessed in. And the Thessalonians experienced great persecution for their newfound faith in Jesus. No doubt this persecution came from family, friends, and, the so and, and society. And in chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, um, let's take a look at that. 
Um, it says here, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. And for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. And so here's this persecution that's going on that Paul is saying, you guys are just like what was going on over there in Judea, where it all started, where Jesus was. You're way over here. You're brand new believers. And this is already happening. It is a reflection. And it's showing that the Holy Spirit is at work. That same Holy Spirit that caused um, uh, a radical change in that group of people over in Judea is happening in your life. And, and take comfort in that. Find comfort and, and hope in the fact that this is something that is supposed to happen. It didn't deter them. Chapter 1, verse 6 says, Because they received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. That even though they were going through these afflictions and persecutions and trials, tribulation, they received it with joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit imparted the fruit, uh, namely joy, in the midst of this persecution. The Christian faith is a life that includes persecution. Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation. That if they hated me, they're, they're going to hate you. He also said that when they revile and persecute you, that when they revile you and persecute you, not if. Paul knew this and shared it with them. And in chapter 3, verse 3, uh, he wrote not to be uh, shaken by these afflictions, that we were appointed to this because our hope in Jesus is contrary to the world. We will experience persecution through our witness, just like these Thessalonians did. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the comfort that we receive in the midst of our persecution as well and that they were receiving in their persecution. And in Revelation, I love how he concludes each letter to the the churches. And he would say... um, He who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes, I will give a new name. He who overcomes, I will give power over the nations. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and write on him my new name. To he who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And to that, I say amen. That is something that we get to look forward to. As the Holy Spirit empowers us through persecution, we become those overcomers. And one day we get to experience this. The next lesson I see is Paul's care for the brethren. And Paul says in chapter 1, verse 5, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And in verse 9, what manner of entry we had to you. Paul's care for the brethren. This is another lesson I believe that we can glean from here in in this letter to the Thessalonians. Acts tells us that Paul preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths and then they were run out of town. And in that short period of time, Paul, Silas, and Timothy made such a tremendous impact on their lives. They were uh, treated as 
uh, nursing mo- a mother, excuse me, a nursing mother cherishes her own children, and as a concerned father who exhorts and comforts his own children, this is how they treated the Thessalonians. Read, let's read that description there in chapter two. Um, the, the various descriptions when we see the, their conduct that they had. In verse 2, it says that they suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi and in much conflict. And in verse 3, um, they didn't come to them from error and cleanness, nor uh, was, was it in deceit. Verse 5, they were approved of God, not as pleasing men, but God who tested their hearts. And in verse 5, neither at any time did they use flattering words, nor a cloak of covetousness, because, of God, because God is witness nor did they seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when they had the opportunity to. But rather, when you see in verses 7, 8, and 9, they came gentle as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And in verses 10 through 12, you see as, as though they were uh, a concerned father, exhorting, comforting, and charging them as children, that they would walk worthy of God who calls them into his kingdom and glory. And their love continued even when they were apart. We see this as Paul describes his continued prayer for them, night and day without ceasing, his longing to see them uh, to the point it became unbearable. It was unbearable to them to think, what's going on with the Thessalonians? Are they standing in their faith? And his desire to perfect what was lacking in their faith this is what um, I need to extend more in my life. That concern and care for my brothers and my sisters on a more consistent basis. I want to do that. I want to extend that. And there's practical ways that we can do that, practical tips. And one way we see here is that they prayed for them. They prayed without ceasing. There was an exceeding amount of prayer that went towards these Thessalonians. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed for them. They prayed with them for them with joy in their hearts, longing to see them, praying that God would open up an opportunity for them to come to them. We can pray for one another, especially when someone comes to your mind. We got to think about that. You know, as we're praying or maybe we're just con- caring about our regular routine and then all of a sudden someone's name or, or an image of somebody pops into your mind, take that as from the Lord, guys, and pray for that person. We don't know what's going on the other side, but pray for them. Pray that God would encourage them. Pray for whatever circumstance that they're in. God, I just pray you would pour out your blessing and comfort and encouragement, and I pray you would take them to a whole nother level in their walk so that they're just impacting lives all around them. That's what God would want for us, is to pray for one another. That is one practical way. Another way is to send a quick note. And for us, with our technology that we have, it comes in, 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 in way of a text. Sending a text to one another. Just shooting one real quick. Hey, thinking about you. Hey, just want to let you know, you came to my mind and I prayed for you. That little word of encouragement is pretty much what Paul was doing here with the Thessalonians. Sending those, those prayer requests. Sending... <laughs> as if he had the ability to send a text message just to let them know, hey, we love you guys and we're hoping that change is going to happen. I love to get text messages from you guys. I love to get text messages um, from some of my, my friends who, who, 
who are, again, just saying, I'm praying for you. It does bring that encouragement. And you might even go as far as maybe writing a note. Remember that and putting a, a stamp on it and mailing it? Back in the day, I remember as a brand new Christian, um, Pastor Ed was at um, Calvary Chapel Downey. And I remember he would send out these three and a half by five cards and the ones that we use for school. And all you do is just write a quick note and include a, a scripture and pretty much just let me know, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. And he would send those and we would get those every once in a while. And, and I tell you, th- those were special and I've, I've kept them and they're, they're dear to my heart. And um, I would encourage you, take time, write down something, put that stamp on it. It's something special when you get that letter in the mail, that three by five card that someone's thinking about you and praying for you and including a scripture of an encouragement. May that be for our hearts, maybe here in 2017, something different. Next, we see another lesson is that exhortation, excuse me, exhortation for sanctification. In chapter four, finally, it says, we urge and we exhort in the Lord Jesus to abound more and more. How does this happen? How do we see that happening, it growing and abounding? Well, it comes through sanctification. For this is the will of God, sanctification, our sanctification. It's a continued work that happens in the believer. It, It happens even though we become Christians, even though we know we're right with God, our sins are forgiven. God doesn't want us to stay where we're at in that same condition that we came to him. He wants change to happen. And that comes by way of sanctification, that sanctification process, that work that happens in our lives. When Jesus prayed for the disciples in John chapter 17, it says, I have given them, as he's praying to God the Father for his disciples, it says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is from the very prayer of Jesus to his disciples, and it is his heart to us. Paul would also state that in chapter 5, verse 23, when he would say, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in what specific area did he encourage the Thessalonian believers to be sanctified in? In sexual immorality. To abstain from it. Just like today, sexual immorality is out of control in our society and it ruins many marriages It destroys families and disqualifies us from service. Can God restore what the locusts have eaten? Absolutely he can. If we've been involved or entangled in any of this kind of activity, God can restore. But it it takes for us to come to him with a broken heart, asking God, forgive me, and repenting of that, and changing our direction and going a totally different way. We must be willing to, to not only repent, 
but also allow God to do that sanctification. Because here in chapter five, it says that God is the one who sanctifies us. It's through his word that he sanctifies us, that he causes that change to happen in our lives. We have to be willing to allow that to happen, guys. And so often we don't. Maybe in certain areas, you know, we praise God, hey, thank you for, you know, changing me in this area or changing me in that area. But this particular area, I'm in control of this. I got this. And I want to keep going in this direction because it's good. And God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. He wants to take all of us so that we would be those living sacrifices, which would be that reasonable service. All of our lives to him, letting God have that sanctification process in us completely so that, again, as in chapter 5, verse 23, it says that he may present us our whole spirit, soul, and body preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord. You know, when I became a Christian, I didn't want to be sanctified in this area. You know, God delivered my language. God delivered me from so much stuff. He gave me a peace in my heart. He, he welcomed me into his family. I knew my sins were forgiven, but sexual morality, I didn't want to give up. I didn't want that to be taken away from my life because I felt like I was in control and it was okay. Because from the time that I was a young kid to the time that I got saved, it was all about sexual morality. And when you look in King James, in the King James Version, it says fornication, which what we know is um, having sex outside of marriage. But the true definition here is really sexual immorality, all forms of sexual immorality, whether it be... Um, uh, going to the movies and being okay and just saying, oh yeah, well, it was a great movie. Yeah, I know that one scene was in there, but it was still a great movie. I love the content of that. And just kind of convincing yourself that it's okay to sit through these, these scenes or the magazines, being okay with that. The internet that's so readily available for us to participate in. These are the things I didn't even want to give up. The the interaction that would happen with the opposite sex. I didn't want that to stop, to keep gazing, to keep looking, thinking I was under control with all that. And all it did was just ruin relationships, ruin lives, and and cause me to ride that fence where I'm experiencing the joy of the Lord and then being depressed at the same time and not figuring it out, not understanding. And ultimately, you know what it does, guys, is it causes a hardness in your heart a dullness to your spirit to connect with God. That's not what God wants. You know, the Bible says, and it is very clear, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You can't get around that truth, guys. You want to see God? Blessed are the pure in heart. Temptation in the area of sexual immorality is strong and a common tactic from the enemy. Paul wrote in chapter 3, verse 5, I sent Timothy to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. I don't believe that Paul was writing to the Thessalonians to tell him, this is what you're doing, so now you need to pull out of it. I, I think he was telling him and exhorting him, this is what's going on in society. Don't think that it's okay. Maybe you participated in it once, but you need to do away from it, abstain from it, stay away from it, keep yourselves from it. Live holy lives. I urge you and exhort you, abstain from all forms of sexual morality, Paul would write. 
For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. We are the temple, folks, of the Holy Spirit. He indwells in us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Think about that for a second. The Holy Spirit indwells us, God the Father indwells us, and Jesus indwells us. We now become that habitation for the Holy Spirit and the Trinity to indwell us. I can't figure it out, but this is what Jesus said, and I believe it. So the question is, why would we engage in these activities with them dwelling in us? Why? That's what Paul is saying. Abstain from these things. Are you struggling in this area? Well, 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will do his part when we come to him and we confess our sins. But not only that, but we need to, um, to repent and change our direction and ask God to sanctify us tonight. And the last lesson as we wrap it up is we see that they had a hope of his return. Paul states, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have died believing in Jesus. Paul says, I don't want you to mourn like those who have no hope. And as Christians, we have a hope that comforts us in our time of grief concerning those who have passed away who believe in Jesus. I remember uh, before I was a Christian, uh, a friend of mine had passed away um, at work. I was probably 18 years old. He passed away. Uh, he was going through blood transfusions, and on the way home, he fell asleep at the wheel, being weak. He crashed, and he died. And I remember hearing about this, and I wasn't really close to him. I knew of him. I worked with him, but we didn't really hang out. He was a lot older than me. But when I found out that he had died, and I went to, that, um, to the burial site, I tell you, I was coming unraveled. I, I was sobbing uncontrollably. And that is no joke. Just the idea of death was gripping my heart and causing me to just lose it. And people were looking at me like, what's up with this guy? And I remember I got to the point where I had to walk away and I had to leave there, not understanding why I was crying so much for someone I didn't know, but feeling the impact of death in my life and how certain and, and definite it was. And I was one without hope, but not anymore. Not anymore. Now that I have faith in Jesus, my hope is in him because of the promises that he's declared. You see, his promises are gonna carry me home. Remember when we talked about the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God the Father and Jesus all indwelling us? Well, guess what, guys? That's that guarantee that we're going to get to heaven. You know, right when we die, they're going to say, okay, we're done with him, boop, and they're going to come out. No, he's our, they're our guarantee that we're going to get to that final destination. And that hope that we have is in him. Do we mourn? Absolutely, we're going to mourn. Are we going to have sorrow when a loved one dies? Absolutely, that's going to happen. But it's not going to be to the degree of those who don't have that hope. We don't mourn like them, Paul says. And he's telling them, don't mourn like that. Mourn as though you are by faith believing and trusting 
that Jesus is going to come back and Jesus is going to take us with him. Chapter 4, verse 14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And if he brings those who have died with him, that means that they're with him, that they're not soul sleeping, they're not just kind of in a, a state where what is going to happen, they're not in a holding tank. The Bible says and is very clear that our last breath on earth, the very next breath we take is in heaven. Paul would write to the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart, and here's the key, and be with Christ, which is far better, he says. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. having a desire to depart and be with Christ immediately in the presence of the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross when the thief said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And you remember what that thief um, heard in, in, in response where Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you're gonna die and today you're gonna be with me. You're not gonna go and pay for your sins. You're not gonna just cease to exist. You're gonna be with me in paradise. That is the promise of Jesus while dying on the cross for your sin and for my sin and for the sins of the world. Hope is still being extended on the cross. That's the love of our Jesus toward you and toward me. This brings us comfort. Not an exclusion from grief or sorrow, but we mourn with a hope. Jesus said in John chapter 11, Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. A great statement from Jesus. And the question is, do you believe this? Is this something that you've received and that you have made a part of your life? That hope that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God and you have the hope of heaven. I've done that. I've made that decision. And I can stand here 100% saying, I'm trusting in God. Because the reality is this, guys. If everything that we've just said right now, everything in the Bible was not true, and I was to die, then I just cease to exist. Then I have really nothing to, in a sense, uh, I, I don't have anything to look forward to. It's just going to happen. It's just going to be finite. And if, and, and if I, I wasn't a believer and I didn't believe in any of this stuff and I died, it would just end. But the reality is what Bible, the Bible teaches is that we die once and then the judgment. We die and then we stand before God and we give an account of our life. And unless we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we do not get to go into all eternity with him. We don't get to go to that next step. As we read early in Revelation, to him who overcomes, they don't get to taste that second death. I die once, but then I go into eternity with Jesus. Those who die without Jesus die twice. 
They die once here, and then secondly is their second death, which is total separation from God because they chose not to receive Jesus in their life. Is that you tonight? Have you made that decision? Again, if, if I'm standing before God, I know that my sins are forgiven. I've got that hope of heaven. But the person who doesn't, they can't count on that because the reality is that the Bible is true and we're banking on it. And when it does happen, they're going to have to give an account. They're going to have to, they can't just say, well, I just go into nothing. Uh, you know, if, it, if I die, I die, then I just cease to exist. But if the Bible is true, which we do believe, they're going to have to give an account. They're going to stand before God. And that's where we come in, guys. That's where we want to share that gospel, that truth. We don't want anyone to go to hell. God does not, is not willing that any should perish. We see that in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he loves the world. That includes all of us as sinners, even before we were born. And that should be our heart as well. We don't want to mourn because somebody passed without Jesus, so let's take that opportunity and to share that gospel, share that truth, that somebody might be saved. Lessons that we can learn from the Thessalonians, you know, I just pulled out a few, but guys, there is a ton that are inside there, and I encourage you, get back in there and dig some more and let it come alive in your hearts so you can share this truth and it can come alive to someone who needs salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight and your word and the power it has through the Holy Spirit. And we pray that even as we leave here, that, Lord, um, that you would um, continue to speak and to teach and to encourage and to comfort and to um, sanctify us by your word, that change of process that you desire. Jesus, you said that, that you're praying that we wouldn't be taken out of the world. We're to be here. We're to stay. Why? Because there's a work that has to happen. You've created us for those works that we should walk in them. And we want to do that. So empower us, enable us. Give us all that we need. So Lord, your perfect will is accomplished in and through our lives. And while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed and we're just praying right now and we're seeking the Lord, I just want to take this opportunity to give that invitation if there is someone here who has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you want to know that your sins are forgiven, if you want to be made right with God, and if you want to have that hope of heaven, that invitation is available for you tonight. But you must choose. I can't choose for you, your family, your friends, those who are sitting here, we can't do that for you, nor can God force his love upon you. It is a choice that you must make, and only you. But it is a simple choice. It is a simple choice of saying, I need you, Jesus. I've messed up my life. I recognize that your word is truth. I don't know everything, but I, I believe in you, and I believe in your word, and I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be separated from you, for all eternity. I want to go to heaven. If that's you, would you stand right where you're at? If that's you, stand right where you're at.
to receive Jesus tonight. We just want to give you a couple moments to take advantage. You're in a house of brothers and sisters who love you. Anyone here tonight? Well, praise God. Looks like we're the whole family of God here. Continue to pray for those who are maybe on the radio, who might be watching on the internet, maybe someone downstairs who hasn't received the Lord. And let's lift them up. And so, Father, we do pray that, again, you would continue that work. And those who are not sure um, where they stand before you, Father, we, we pray for them, that you would encourage them, that they would just pray a simple prayer like this. Father, forgive me for my sin. Wash me and cleanse me and make me new. Come into my life, Jesus, and make me yours. I repent of my sins and I turn to you from this day forward. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for making me right with you and thank you for that hope of heaven in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that if anybody out there prayed that prayer, God, that you would just grab a hold of their hearts and that you would direct them to this place to make a phone call, maybe call someone that they know that is a Christian, that they might be encouraged and grow in their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.